The Olympic Channel podcast is brought to you by Bridgestone, worldwide Olympic and Paralympic partner, a founding partner of the Olympic Channel. Olympic Channel podcast. My name is Ed Knowles and this is the official Olympic Channel podcast. Birgit Skarstein is a Paralympic champion in rowing. She is also planning to represent Norway at Beijing 2022 and compete in cross-country skiing. Her positivity is absolutely infectious. She definitely likes to laugh and live life to its absolute fullest. A video clip of her performing on Norway's version of Dancing with the Stars went viral. But before we get to all of that, I just want to say, hello, how are you? How is life at the moment? <laughs> Well, life is quite all right. I'm in the mountains, I'm in the Norwegian mountains, and we've been waiting for snow because it's been quite late this year. Uh, but finally, it's here, and we can go skiing. Uh, I do Nordic skiing or cross-country skiing. So I'm um, I'm living in the mountains at the moment and just being a lot, a lot, a lot outside, which is really nice. So, you know, it's one of those things that is one of the most grueling kind of physical activities that you can do uh, with cross-country skiing. So can you still enjoy the nature and be outside and all the training and also, you know, like coming like a total, like putting yourself through the ringer? <laughs> you know, that's what I love about sports because you have both sides of it. You have all the long trips that you don't have very high pulse, but where you're out training for, you know, three or four hours and you're just um, concentrating on making the technique all right and keeping the pulse down. And then you can actually enjoy it quite a bit. Um, now it's still not that much snow. So even though the trees are white, you know, and, and you can see the mountain tops uh, white, being white everywhere, it's very uh, limited how many tracks you can actually go around in. So these days I'm doing a loop on one and a half kilometers. So I think yesterday I did that loop 40 times. <laughs> so you, you really learn what every single meter of that track is like. <laughs> and in the end, you kind of just turn off and, and go inside your own head. And then you have the trips where you are supposed to have a little bit more speed and then my focus at least is a little bit more inside and, and on, what, on the technique and on what I'm doing. Yeah, was that kind of, I always think of, you know, a Scandinavian childhood as this idyllic, wonderful, you know, outdoors, but cold, you know, like beautiful summers in rivers and, you know, just doing all sorts of like cool stuff, you know, outdoors all the time. And then, you know, kind of hot chocolates and, you know, like really cozy times in winter. So how was growing up? What did your childhood look like? Is that true? My mother used to push us out every day uh, and, and just say, don't come in until I yell for you. <laughs> and then we just had to make up what to do. Uh, and we did skiing and ice skating and um, went on these little razors, you know, by downhill. Um, and we would dig um, 
ice caves or snow caves uh and um every every day at school you know we'd go ice skating and when we had breaks in between the sessions uh and we'd drink hot chocolate and um i, I also remember it quite cold uh and and we'd, we, have, we have this thing in norway where i don't know actually if it exists outside of the country i've never seen it but it's kind of uh, a chair on two ice skates and you push it with your feet and one person sits in the chair and the other person stands behind. And then also when you're a kid, a lot of people stand behind that again. So we can actually be quite a few people on those, <laughs> but we would use those to get around. And um, they were also quite strict on driving us. We usually had to bike or, or use that uh, kicker that we call it um, to get around. And I have so many memories of me walking home with that kicker up the hills to my house. Um, looking up, seeing the northern lights, because uh, you have the northern lights that are dancing over the sky, you know, in green and blue and purple. And, and it's like they're making figures. So if you just, as a kid, I remember standing there and just looking at them and trying to figure out what kind of figures it was making. It was really beautiful and, and quite cold, really. Uh, and in the summertime, you know, we'd be out fishing or biking or climbing um and uh it, it would also be quite a bit of rain <laughs> you don't move to norway if you want the big heat you don't get that uh but you do get a lot of outdoorsy things which is nice i, I want to take you back to the time when in, in 2008 that moment that changed changed your life basically um you know what happened there and and you know um how did that affect things going forward? I was living in uh, Thailand, actually. And because I had to do a visa run, I had to get a new visa. I went to Malaysia and I found this really nice place where you go swimming. So I jumped off a little cliff. It wasn't tall at all. It was like a meter, a meter and a half and down into the ocean. Um, and then I managed to tear off my foot. I was like, we don't really know what happened, but probably there was some garbage or something laying under, underneath or, or in the sand, you know, in the bottom. So I hurt my foot really, really bad and um, got this really awful meat-eating bacteria into my foot that started eating the foot from the inside, which was quite nasty stuff. So I was sent back home to Norway and they managed actually to put the foot back onto my body, which was quite nice. I, and I had to go through quite a bit of a um, rehab to kill off that bacteria eating me alive. Yeah, due to that foot, I had to stay uh, 10 months in the hospital. Uh, and uh, I actually became quite well again. They mended me back together and they killed off the bacteria. And I got out of it and I started studying political science at the University of Oslo and was totally back into my life and was really grateful for it. I was, um, I was so happy that I, I was getting a second chance, you know, because uh, for a while there I was quite sick. Um, and, and we didn't actually know if I was going to make it because the, the bacteria was really really hardcore stuff. Um, and getting back into life, you know, I just felt that I was so grateful for being given that second chance and, and to really appreciate the, the, that I could study and that I could work and be with my friends. Um, but 
it turned out that a tiny bit on my leg uh, was a little bit weak uh, because the bacteria had eaten up so much of the bone. So they actually did move some hip bone from my left hip and down to the to the leg, um, but it wasn't enough. So they were going to do another surgery where they were going to uh, where they were going to take a little bit more bone from my right hip and move it from the hip. Isn't that amazing that they can do that? You know, that didn't just go into your body and be like, okay, we're just going to take this spare part, you know? So, so what they actually did is that they moved some muscles and they moved some skin from my thigh and they moved some muscles from, you know, both my thigh and my, my lower leg. Uh, and then they moved bone from my hip and down into my leg to, to put it back up there where it was a little bit of a hole. Um, and that was a routine surgery. That is quite, you know, common. Uh, it wasn't a big deal. They were just uh, moving a little bit on mass, but I got an epidural, you know, anesthesia, that an anesthetic that I put into my back, just so that my hip wouldn't hurt as bad, and to make sure that my ankle and my lower leg wasn't going to hurt that bad. So they gave me a little um, needle into my back. But when I woke up from that surgery, it turned out that my legs had been injured. And afterwards, we figured that, you know, they they hit the spinal cord when I got that anesthesia. And it was permanently hurt forever. So I became paralyzed from my belly button down. The way that you just tell that story is so matter of fact, and I'm sure you've, you've, you know, it's because you've told it so many times, but I, I'm still like, that is still unbelievable to me, just how you can say those those things in such a matter of fact way. Well, yeah, I, I might tell them a little bit matter of factly because, you know, that's what life is sometimes it's up and downs and sometimes you get a punch that you didn't expect. And sometimes, you know, Life isn't fair. It's it's not like you've been promised anything when you when you are born. No one gives you a book and says you tells you you know this is how your life's going to be. Uh, and I think that accepting that life is place a part of life, you know, um, I think that's quite important. But of course, you know, I've I've always been really active, <laughs> and I've always been full of energy and running around. And I I, I remember that one of the things that I thought about first after the injury was that no, 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 I cannot be paralyzed. No, no, that doesn't work for me. <laughs> I'm not the kind of type to be paralyzed. You know, I'm, I have too many worms in my in my butt, you know, <laughs> I don't know how to be sitting still. It's, it's not possible for me to be in a wheelchair. It's, I, don't, I don't believe this is going to work. You know, it's, it's just not, it's just not part of who I am. Uh, and then I needed to figure out, you know, how I could keep being me and how I could keep doing my things um, without having the abilities to use my body as I used to. When they asked me, you know, can you lift your right thigh? And I was like, I've been, I've been walking on my right thigh for 20 years. And I just suddenly realized, I don't know how to lift it. I don't know how to do it. It, it doesn't respond, you know. And, and they, they asked me, can you, can you lift your left thigh? And I, I looked down on my left thigh and I'm like, come on, move. 
and it just it doesn't move and I sit there and like I don't know how to lift my legs I don't I, I don't know how to um I don't know how to actually do what I've done for so many years without ever thinking about how to do it and and you know moving on as you say it's also about that you don't know how to move on you don't have, know how to do things that you haven't learned or haven't trained on so so moving on is 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 a really long journey of doing things that you know how to do but in a in a different way in in a way that you don't know until you started learning you know and, and doing but I, I was six months in the hospital and um and then I came up to the mountains, uh, to a rehab place in the mountains, straight from straight from a spinal cord injury hospital. And then I actually did my first ski race six and a half months after the injury. <laughs> and it was awful. <laughs> it was horrible. I hated it. <laughs> it was so hard. It was so hard. I was like, no way you gotta be kidding me for for serious are people doing this and um the year after i was back and i did the same ski race and i uh i actually was i doubled uh i doubled the speed so so i came in on the same race with half the time <laughs> than the year before right so let's fast forward quite a lot actually uh, you find rowing, you love it, you fall in love with it completely. You start competing and you're really good at it. Um, but there's disappointment at Rio 2016 where you finish fourth. Uh, but the real plan anyway was to become Paralympic champion in 2020. Obviously that didn't quite happen. In, it happened in 2021, but you you did actually do it. Um, after everything that you went through, all of the struggles, you know, you did it. Um, how... Just how happy were you? I was so happy. I was just breathtaking and uh, knocked to the ground happy <laughs> and relieved. <laughs> I, I, you know, we really worked. It was a group work. I really felt that I was, it was like we we're doing a relay and I was doing the last piece, you know, the final lap of that relay because we've been lots of people working on that you know, this together for such a long time. And I felt that I've been mentally, um, just, you know, disturbingly way almost, um, preparing every single detail <laughs> from the humidity to the heat, to the gear, to the body, to the technique, you know, to the mental part of it. Uh, everything was just so thoroughly planned and executed, uh, over that five years between Rio to Tokyo. And, um, I knew for myself that, you know, whatever happens, you know, whatever outcome there will be, you know, I, I did my best. I gave it, I gave it my all. Um, and that also made me really, really relaxed on the starting line. And really, you know, I went into it with a happy mood and I knew that I, I was in a good shape. I knew that my race plan was really well worked through. I knew that I did everything that was in my power to do. And if that was going to give me a medal, you know, that would be a deserved medal. <laughs> and it would also, you know, be a really hard worked for medal. And, uh, but I also do know so well that you can never expect anything and you can never, um, 
you can never think that uh, you will go get something. Uh, I think, you know, I get rashes when people say we're going to go there and pick the medals. I'm like, you're not picking anything. You're competing, you know, and, and anything can happen in competitions and especially in the outdoor sea competition that, you know, you have the wind, you have the weather, you have the waves, you have the temperature, you have so many things that can happen, so many things that can go wrong, so many things that can go right. And it's all about, you know, trying to do your best to get the stars aligned for you so that in the end you will get the pole in uh, with your ball. Um, but that also meant that when I crossed that finish line and I realized you hear this sound, you know, you have this stroke um, rate that you take up and, and you do the really last racing, you only feel pain. You can't, almost can't see anything. You can't, uh, you don't really understand what's going on around you. There's only pain and this really intense moment. And then you heard this, which is a sound that, you reach, you reach the finish line and there's bubbles coming up from the water. So you can see the bubbles around your boat. And there was no other ink straight after me and no ink before me. And I was just sitting there and I realized I made it. There's only me. It happened. I didn't really realize because it's been, it's been so intense and the preparation has been so intense. And especially with, you know, the, the COVID situation, we've been so isolated for the past, you know, year and a half before the games. And, um, it was, it was so weird, like a vacuum, you know, and, and I didn't, I, I, I made so many detailed plans for what to do until I reached the finish line. But then I realized, I made no plan for after the finish line. I don't even know where I'm going. <laughs> I don't even know what I'm what to do now. <laughs> I just sit there looking around me like, what happened? <laughs> Until I see my coach, you know, waving and say, come over here, come over here. <laughs> and then I when I I I I I'm still in kind of a mental shock that we actually made it. These 10 years of work. And 12 years since that, almost on the date, you know, 12 years since I was paralyzed and 13 years since I'm off my foot. Um, it's been such an intense period with ups and downs. And, 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 and it's like, I don't really realize what's happening until I come into the dock and I see my coach and, and my coach is, um, I've had the, the same coach for nine years. So we've been working together really uh, closely for nine years. And he was also in Tokyo with the boys for the Olympic games and, and got a medal there too. And he's, he's a kind of cool cat. You know, he's, he's one of these guys who's always in control of his emotions. He's always very, um, he's easygoing, but you know, also he's like a big rock. You can always lean on him and he's always calm and patient and very balanced. And I come into the dock and I look at this man that I've been working closely with for so many years, and that's been really a big rock in my life. And he reaches out to capture my oar, to take, drag me into the, the pontoon. And his eyes over, over the, over the, um, uh, how do you call it? You know, this, um, yeah, yeah, but you know, this, the, the, um, the thing that you wear, the mask. <laughs> Everyone were wearing a mask, right? Because it was so, it was almost no people there because of the corona restrictions. But because he, he grabbed after my oar and, and took my boat and, you know, dragged it into the dock. And, it, and his mask was covering half his face, but I could see his eyes. 
and they're teary. They're full of tears. And he goes, <clears throat> and then I started crying. Because <laughs> then I realized we did it. We did it. it. It happened. It was for real. We actually did this. And, and, and tears just started streaming down from my eyes. And my family wasn't there. And my friends wasn't there because of COVID. You know, they had to stay at home. But it was me and him. And we did it. We, we made it. And um, that intense feeling of joy and excitement and relief and, and gratefulness and this sense of belonging, you know, belonging in the world of sports and belonging in the Norwegian team and belonging and inclusiveness, you know, in, in this group that's been working together and that we made it all together. That was, I, I don't think I've almost ever been that grateful uh, in my life. <laughs> It seems like you're doing great, even though you're kind of questioning your sanity, I think, a little bit by going out in the middle of the night and just going around 40 times around one track. Well, I, I actually think that you, you are doing or you seem fine. Are, 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 are you OK? And, and um, you know, like, are, are you enjoying the process of, of, you know, trying to do the same thing, I guess, but this time, you know, it's going to be a bit colder. <laughs> well, I, I am doing all right. Uh, it's been a really rough fall. Uh, I've been quite a bit sick, you know. I, I hadn't been sick for several years before Tokyo, and we lived so isolated. So, you know, it was no way. <laughs> Almost it would, it would be uh, impressive to get sick uh, the way we were living. Um, but I got it back really hard this fall. <laughs> so I've been so much sick this fall, uh, meeting people again. Um, and then there's been lots of paybacks to sponsors you know, to media, um, to the organization. Uh, I'd have to work. You know, you don't get rich uh, by doing sports in Norway. <laughs> we are not paid anything. You know, I'm, I'm not paid by my federation or Team Norway, and we don't get any bonuses for getting medals. You know, I don't earn anything on, on bringing home a medal. So that means we have to work part-time to be able to make things um, work out and to be able to pay the bills. So this fall, the, I've been lots of sick and I've been working a lot and doing lots of sponsor work and doing a lot of work into the Federation um, and also doing some volunteer work, which I think is really important. And then it's been quite a bit the press, you know. So it's it's been a really tough fall and I've been really uh, tired. Um, so, and so the motivation about coming back and doing winter sports, it, the motivation has been there all the time, but my body hasn't been really playing along. Um, and also, you know, I'm, I'm still a part of the region rowing federation, um, which means that I've been, I kept rowing. That's my, the big love of my life. <laughs> so I've been rowing the whole fall because I just have, haven't been wanting to give it up. Um, so I've been wool, rowing in wool clothes, you know, and, um, it's been really freezing cold but it's been also really beautiful so I, i've taken my time doing that winter switch also thinking that you know it's only possible to do one thing fully and whole it's not possible to do two things the way that we have to do and to perform on the level that we do and you have to accept that and you have to kill your darlings on that way um, because if not, you risk being half good in two things or three things, you know, and 
that's not good enough to be able to perform on that top level. So the road to Tokyo um, is not, is this a road that in some ways, you know, when it comes to cardio and comes to strength and comes to mental techniques, you know, those kind of things, I can totally transfer them to winter sports. Uh, but other things like technique, even though I have been roller skiing every single day <laughs> as a part of my training to Tokyo, you know, um, it will still not be a hundred percent good enough for winter sports. Um, and my body is a little bit different than it would be if I was doing winter sports fully. It's a rower's body. It's, you know, it's a little bit more muscles. Um, it's not as slim as you need to be to be able to perform uh, in the way that you, you, should, you could, you know. Um, and I, I recognize that a lot of the choices that I have made to make sure I have the maximum opportunity in Tokyo is choices that also reduces my chances in Beijing. And then I figure that, you know, my love for the sport is so big that I enjoy it so much that I would rather show up and do my best in the circumstances that I have and make it a blast on the way and try to learn from it. And that is good enough. And then, you know, I can deal with people saying, oh, you should have been better. Oh, you should be able to do that or that. I know by myself that, well, I got... What my choices gave me a gold medal in Tokyo. And if at the same time, I'm able to qualify for another Paralympic Games half a year later, that's good enough, you know. <laughs> that is good enough. And if I can show up on that World Nordic Championships in January, only months after I came home from, from Tokyo, um, and be part of that and uh, be part of a team that spreads joy and spreads, you know, energy and commitment uh, to the uh, community, you know, that's good enough for me. I, you know, the world doesn't care whether I medal or not. What actually matters is that, you know, we're going to create this to be a huge, great community that everyone can take part of. And if I can, you know, at the Nordic World Nordic Championships can be one of those athletes going over, crossing the finish line and saying, this is an amazing sport, you know. Look at this, guys. Look at this. All the, you know, those who don't know Parasports, look how amazing these performances are. Look what you can do, you know. You don't feel if you can't ski with your legs, well, then ski with your arms, you know. This, and you can still go out there and enjoy it. And we can cheer for each other and we can show that it's so much real joy of sports here. And that's more important to me than actually just bringing home the maximum amount of medals. And as long as that is, you know, my motivation, then I can totally be on the start line and know that, well, I'm not fully prepared, but my heart is fully dedicated to do the best where I am and do the best out of it and make sure that maybe the next generation will have a little bit more attention or a little bit more sponsors and uh, feel that they are invited into this community of sports. And um, I think, you know, in the end, that's what really matters, right? Being in it together and supporting each other and enjoying the moment <laughs> and doing your best with what you got. You can't do any more than that. So, so someone to say, it's not about the medals. People say that a lot, but no one quite said it with the conviction that you you did. So, yeah. I wanted to ask you about uh, Dancing with the Stars or Strictly Come Dancing, we call it here in the UK as well. And you mentioned something quite interesting in there as well about, you know, maybe 
I can, um, it can be easier for the next generation if I can do these sort of things. And I think 100% you did that. There was one bit that really stuck out to me. One of the judges said, and I agree with this really wholeheartedly, and I didn't think that this would be true, but you do forget there's a wheelchair there. You forget. And that, that's incredible. That's a huge achievement. But I think it must have touched lots of other people as well. How was your experience? The Olympic Games was postponed a year and suddenly we were lots and lots of time home. And we figured, you know, it would be nice to do something a little bit different and and maybe learn some things, you know, in, in this period of time. <clears throat> and I was, excuse me, I was in full-time rowing training and we figured, you know, but you can still do this dancing on the side, you know, part-time. And already at the press conference where they um, released my name as one of the competitors, it was so much fuzz, you know, by people saying, what? How can a person in a wheelchair dance? That's not even possible. People in wheelchair can't even dance. Guys, they don't even have, you know, knees to bend. How the heck is this going to work? You know, and I just figured I was going to keep quiet. <laughs> I was going to show them. Uh, and it was a huge debate on whether I should be part of the show or not and and whether I could dance or whether it was nice to dance. And, you know, remember, this was before we even had done a single dance. You know, they were debating whether I at all, you know, could do it or be there. And uh, after that first dance, uh, which was a waltz, uh, and it was a really beautiful waltz that, you know, and it was a, a really clear lines and uh, very beautifully done. And we worked so hard to make sure that it was going to be with integrity and respect, you know, and that people was going to see, well, this is definitely dance. Um, and it ended up with my partner, you know, lifting me up and me uh, kind of jumping into him. And he holding me over his head flying uh, in a golden dress and uh ending on his knee and we were kind of just bending into each other and we were floating into a hole showing that you know we are just two elements two parts of this one organism performing um moves uh, as 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 one you know and uh i think quite a few people were mind blown that it could be so beautiful because they had never seen it before. And what I really wanted to show people was that just because you haven't seen it doesn't mean it's not possible. And just because you haven't seen it doesn't mean that it's not for real or that it doesn't exist or that it can't be done. It's just that you haven't seen it. You don't have references. But if you see it and you have an open mind, maybe the world can be more than what you experienced so far. And I also wanted to tell people that the dance floor is for everyone. You cannot define what is the right or wrong way to dance because everyone has a dancing body, you know, because a dancing body is the body that can dance and that's your body, you know. And I actually had to go on after that first premiere. It was, it was so much fuss. I actually had to go on Norway's biggest talk show to say, hey guys, I hear that there are some disagreements to whether I should be part of this show but I will not apologize for taking the dance floor because I have a dancing body, just as you have a dancing body, just as we in Norway have more than 5 million different dancing bodies. And the dance floor, as well as uh, the, the floor of the community, is for everyone. And we have to keep it that way because everyone belongs. 
what was really cool this fall, actually, when they had the next season of Strictly Come Dancing, um, I had so many messages from parents saying that the kids were asking, but where are the people in wheelchair? You know, so we actually, we don't, not only did we learn, teach them, you know, that it's, it's totally uh, okay that some people have different ability. And also, you know, we told them that, oh, well, this is also a part of life. They started expecting it. They didn't only accept it, they expected it, you know, and that's so important that we expect diversity and that we, in the end, as you said, don't see the wheelchair, we see the person. Because in life, that's what we need to do. We don't need to look at each other and see the gender or see the color or see the ability. Um, we need to look at it on each other and see the people. And that is how we fully include each other. And that is how we fully uh, can use our abilities for the best for the community as a whole. And that's how we can live the most free and happy life. And that's what we all have to learn. <laughs> <laughs> wow thank you so much for everything what a great message to end on as well i just love this so much thank you thank you <laughs> olympic channel podcast wow what a woman a complete star go and give her a follow on instagram she is birgit scarstein also go and give us a rating five stars on spotify they've started giving us ratings so we need to get that one up please okay right that's it for now stay safe stronger together and see you very soon think like an olympian, olympian.